from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. The greatest gift that we can give to our children and grandchildren is a legacy of faith. In Judaism, we refer to this as Lidor Vador, which means from generation to generation. Passing on our faith from one generation to the next has always been a core value in the Jewish tradition, one that has helped preserve the Jewish people for thousands of years. A few years ago, when my father, Rabbi Echiel Eckstein, suddenly passed away, I realized how blessed I was that my father left us a rich legacy of faith. I was inspired to write a book about the teachings and values that I received from my parents and how I am now passing those same teachings on to my very own children. That book is called Generation to Generation, and it's a compilation of the lessons that I learned through the Jewish traditions that I grew up with, and a practical guide for how we can all pass on our faith to the next generation. And now, I'm thrilled to make the contents of my book available to everyone through this podcast. Over the summer, every episode of Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast will feature the audio version of Generation to Generation. Each week, you'll hear me read a chapter in the book, and in each chapter, we'll explore a Jewish observance, the key value it reinforces, and how to transmit that value to the next generation. I think we can all agree that our children are our future. We are shaping the future of the world through the lessons that we teach our children today. I pray that this series will help you share your faith with all of the children in your life and that it enriches your own walk with God too. From God's commandment to Abraham to leave his homeland for a land he did not know following a God that he could not see, to the nation of Israel standing on the shores of the Red Sea with the mighty Egyptian army at their heels, to the prophet Daniel facing certain death in the lion's den, the Torah is filled with stories and lessons about faith in God. In fact, one of the greatest Jewish sages, the 18th century rabbi Elijah of Vilna, taught that the entire purpose of the Bible is so that your trust may be in the Lord, as it says in Proverbs 22.19. Indeed, what is the purpose of any faith community if not to inspire faith in our Heavenly Father? However, upon closer examination, it is clear that there are different levels of faith. 
There is a foundational belief in God, including the conviction that he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving. In Jewish tradition, we affirm 13 principles of faith each day, such as our belief that God created the world and the belief that the Messiah will come. Every day we declare that we believe in God's existence and acknowledge his involvement in the world. Yet there is another type of faith, one which requires us to take what we believe in our head and unite it with our heart so that we can live out our faith every single day. This type of faith requires that we not only believe in God, but that we also trust in God day in and day out, moment to moment. The great 19th century Torah scholar Rabbi Israel Salanter said, the longest distance between two points is the distance between the head and the heart. These two levels of faith, between what we believe with our mind and know in our heart, are indeed often worlds apart. Bridging the two is part of our lifelong service to God. In the Christian Bible, the Apostle Paul described it this way. In 2 Corinthians 5-7, For we live by faith, not by sight. There is a wonderful story that illustrates this. Around the mid-1800s, a man known as the Great Blondin attempted to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. 5,000 people gathered to watch. In the middle of the walk, Blondin suddenly stopped, backflipped into the air, landed on the rope, and then continued safely to the other side. Blondin would cross the falls many more times, once blindfolded, once carrying a stove, once in chains, and once on a bicycle. One time, however, he showed up with a wheelbarrow. Blondin turned to the crowd and shouted, Who believes that I can cross pushing this wheelbarrow? Every hand in the crowd went up. Blondin pointed to one man. Do you believe that I can do it? He asked. Yes, I believe you can, said the man. Are you sure? said Blondin. Yes, said the man. Absolutely certain? Yes, absolutely certain. Thank you, said Blondin. Then, sir, get into the wheelbarrow. Anyone can have a belief, but how many of us are ready to stake our lives on what we believe? There will be times in our lives when our faith will be strong, but our fear will seem stronger. We will all have to decide if we are willing to step into the wheelbarrow and trust that God will deliver us safely across the wire. In Judaism, there are two words that roughly express this idea of faith. One is emunah, the other is bitachon, and there is a profound difference between the two. Emunah is believing in God and that he runs the world. Bitachon is acting in accordance with that belief. For example, a butcher who believes that his earnings all come from God has emunah. However, if he panics when a competitor opens up shop, then he is lacking bitachon. Bitachon means knowing that only God determines how our lives will unfold and that everything that happens is for the best. In Judaism, faith is really a verb. It is something we do, not something we have. It means living our lives in a way that is congruent with our belief in God and our trust in Him. Every year, the Jewish people practice this faith living on the holiday of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. For seven days, we leave the comfort of our homes and go live outside in a rickety hut called a sukkah as a reminder of God's provision and protection for us year-round. Just as God had protected the Israelites when they wandered the harsh desert following the Exodus, 
God provides and protects us while we live in vulnerable conditions. These days, there are many options when it comes to building a sukkah. There are prefab ones that are easy to put together and as fun as Lego blocks. And there are even pop-up versions. When I was growing up, though, our sukkah was made of wood. And I remember my sisters and I watching in awe as my father single-handedly constructed it. This was no easy feat. First, my father would lug the wooden panels from our shed to our patio, along with the wooden beams that would hold the structure together. Then he would carefully line up the pieces according to the numbers he had assigned them the very first time he built our sukkah, so that everything was in place and ready to be assembled. The first two pieces were always the most difficult. My father would follow his plan carefully and join the two boards in order to form a corner, which, once bolted together, could stand on its own as long as there were no strong winds that day. My father worked as quickly as he could to stabilize the structure while my sisters and I were there to help by handing him the next screw or getting him a glass of water. It was always a celebrated accomplishment when the sukkah was finally complete and stable enough to be decorated. We would sit with my father long after the sun had set marvel at the structure that once again stood in our Chicago backyard. Over the following days, as is the custom, my sisters and I would hang decorations from the thatched roof and on the walls so that by the time the holiday began, we took great pride in our combined efforts to produce such a magnificent structure, a veritable palace in our young eyes. One year, there was a powerful storm. On the first night of Sukkot, we had finished our meal in the sukkah as the first drops of rain began to fall. Sleeping in the sukkah, as we usually did, was out of the question, and our family went to bed inside of our regular home for the night. In the morning, we were distraught to see that our beloved sukkah, which we had worked so hard to build, had been blown down by the storm. Our decorations were ruined, and the sukkah was in pieces on the ground. My father sensed our sadness and said to us, Girls, we will rebuild our sukkah and the rest of the holiday will be fine. But I want you to know that God just taught us a very important lesson about life. We can make plans and work hard, but in the end, only God decides what will happen. Even when we don't like how things turn out, we trust God that everything is for the best. Looking back now, it's clear to me that God allowing our sukkah to fall was one of the best life lessons that I ever received because it was on that day that I learned to truly trust God, to put my faith, emuna, into practice, bitachon. I learned that when things do not go according to plan, it does not mean that God is not in control or that he does not love me. I learned that I do not have to understand God's ways to know that he is always good. I learned the true meaning of the verse from Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Every year after that, when we build our sukkah, it was no more sturdy than the year it blew down, and many times the Chicago weather was just as bad or worse, yet it never blew down again. During those years, I learned that while God might have allowed our sukkah to fall apart once, he could also hold up the flimsy structure against all odds year after year. Even as our sukkah aged and the wood began to warp, it was not God's will for it to fall. And so it stood for decades.
The holiday of Sukkot is a celebration of bitachon, that very faith living and trust in God, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. The festival recalls the 40-year journey that the Israelites took across the desert after their exodus from Egypt. During that time, God provided for his people in an environment where it is nearly impossible to survive. The Bible tells us that God provided a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night to guide his people. This is found in Exodus 13.21. In addition, God provided manna from the sky for them to eat, a traveling well of water for them to drink, and shelters to live in while they camped. On Sukkot, we remember all God's provisions for his children. As the psalmists remind us in Psalm 27, 5, For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. In Leviticus 23, 42-43, we are commanded to live in temporary shelters for seven days, All native-born Israelites are to live in shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. On Sukkot, we live in temporary hut, a sukkah, for an entire week to remember how God cared for and protected our ancestors in the desert during those 40 years. When God took the Israelites out of Egypt, he didn't just leave them to fend for themselves. He provided them with all their needs on a daily basis on their journey to the promised land. On Sukkot, we are reminded that God will also provide for us and that we can trust him in all circumstances, be they times of deprivation and harshness or of abundance and joy. Sukkot is celebrated in the fall, just a few days after the high holy days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The Jewish custom is to begin building a sukkah immediately after Yom Kippur ends. The walls are usually constructed out of simple pieces of wood or from canvas, but the roof, called schach, must be created out of natural materials like bamboo or tree branches and must be sparse enough so that the stars can be seen from inside the structure. All year long, when we look up in our homes, we see the sturdy ceiling and roof as the source of our protection. But on Sukkot, within our sukkah, we look up and see the heavens and know that our Savior and protector is God. During the holiday, we eat, sleep, and spend as much time as we can inside the holy sukkah. We try to make it resemble a home as much as possible, and we are encouraged to decorate it beautifully. Since Sukkot takes place during the harvest season, it originally marked the ingathering of the fall harvest as a Thanksgiving festival. Many people decorate the sukkah with hanging fruits, real or fake, of the seven species of land of Israel, such as pomegranates, grapes, and figs. Interestingly, although Sukkot is probably one of the lesser known of the Jewish holidays, it is described in the Bible as a holiday for all nations in the Messianic era. The book of Zechariah tells us that the survivors from all the nations will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. 
Sukkot has universal and eternal significance for people of all faiths. As we read in the book of Zechariah and synagogue, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. When we understand that Sukkot commemorates God's providence in the desert following the exodus from Egypt, recalled on Passover, which occurs in the spring, an important question arises. Why isn't Sukkot celebrated in the springtime, the same season when its events originally took place? According to Jewish tradition, Sukkot is celebrated in autumn so that we can experience God's providence while exposed to the elements. Just as the ancient Israelites experienced his shelter and protection while exposed to the dangers of the desert. Autumn ushers in the time when most people move from outdoors to inside. The weather gets cooler, and in Israel, the rainy season begins. However, instead of taking shelter inside our homes under the sturdy roofs, it is precisely in this vulnerable environment that we move outside into our rickety, unstable sukkah. Sukkot tests our willingness to sacrifice our comfort and convenience for the sake of obedience and trust in God and His Word. The roof of the sukkah has to provide more shade than sun. But as mentioned previously, it must also be sparse enough to see the sky and let in rain. We want to be exposed. We want to have the experience of completely relying on God when we could, perhaps more easily, rely upon our man-made homes and ourselves. On Sukkot, we choose vulnerability. We relish the opportunity to live by the grace of God. And for this act of faith, the prophet Jeremiah declared the Jewish people merited divine loving kindness. As it says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how you followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. In truth, we always live by the grace of God. The difference is that all year long, we create the illusion that we are in control of our destiny. We live in our big, strong homes protected by locks and alarms. Many of us enjoy climate-controlled houses that provide us with comfort in the heat and the cold and immunity from the weather. However, once we step into the sukkah, we realize that we are no longer in control. Our sukkah is intended to be a metaphor for life, reminding us that in spite of all the scientific and technological success that God has allowed us, we never have been nor ever will be in charge of our destiny. Only God holds the reins of the world. We live or die by his will alone. In the Jewish oral tradition, the sukkah is referred to as a shelter of faith. Houses rest upon strong physical foundations and rely upon human ability. A sukkah, in contrast, rests on faith alone and relies solely on God to protect the structure and the people within it. When we are in the sukkah, we are sitting in the shadow of faith, and the walls of the structure are considered a divine embrace. Sukkot is also known as the time of our joy, Zman Simchatenu, based on the biblical verse that instructs us, celebrate the festival of tabernacles, be joyful at your festival. This is from Deuteronomy 16, 13 to 14. There is no greater joy in life than having complete trust in God, knowing that everything was, is, and always will be exactly as it should be, divinely ordained, perfect, and for our very best. 
Sukkot is definitely one of the most joyful weeks of the year for our family. The excitement begins the moment the sun sets on Yom Kippur. After breaking our fast at the family meal, we head into our yard and begin constructing our sukkah. The sound of nails being hammered into wood fills the neighborhood, mixed with the sound of children's laughter. Once our sukkah is standing, our children begin to decorate it, just as my sisters and I used to do. They bring home school projects to hang on the walls of the sukkah and make paper chains out of colorful strips of paper to drape from the ceiling. As the holiday gets closer, the schach goes up, which in Israel is usually comprised of large palm fronds that are conveniently delivered to our home. Once sukkah begins, our family moves into the sukkah. There we eat, entertain family and friends, play music, sing, and enjoy each other's company. At night, we drag out mattresses and lay out sleeping bags so that we can all sleep under the stars. We know it might rain, and sometimes it does. We know a cat may sneak in, and sometimes one does. We know we may get mosquito bites and that there is no alarm system attached to the sukkah door. Nevertheless, we know that God is watching over us, and we go to sleep feeling happy, loved, and secure. Living in Israel is in many ways like living in a sukkah all year round. We know that we are surrounded by enemies on all sides. We know that the next terror attack can happen at any time, anywhere. My children have lived through wars, heard the piercing air raid sirens, and experienced running to a bomb shelter. We've had many talks about faith in God during these times. At the same time, we are all very aware that we live in a land where... The eyes of the Lord, your God, are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end, as it says in Deuteronomy 11.12. We know that he who guards Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps, as it says in Psalm 121.4. We have experienced God's providence and seen his miracles. We speak about them to our children, reflect upon them, and make sure that nothing goes unnoticed. From the very outset, the land of Israel has been a land that requires faith in order to live. Even in biblical times, it was evident that rain in the Holy Land was not a given. And consequently, sustenance was most obviously dependent upon God. It was something that had to be prayed for. Today, we joke that God gave the nation of Israel the only sliver of land in the entire Middle East without oil. And yet, God knew exactly what he was doing when he gifted us this land that is low in natural resources but overflowing with his spirit. In the Jewish tradition, Israel is known as the land of faith because it is only through faith and trust in God that one can live in this land, build houses, and plan for the future. Perhaps there is no greater training ground in faith than the land of Israel, and I'm so grateful that my children experience that every day of their lives. They have learned to trust God for protection. They live every day knowing that they are the culmination of God's promises and biblical prophecy. They witness prophecy come to fruition in the streets where they walk, the people they meet, the freedom they enjoy, and the produce of the land that they feast upon. Like the sukkah, sometimes the rain gets in. Sometimes life doesn't go the way we would like. There are plenty of times when life in Israel is challenging and scary. Yet, just as the sukkah also lets in the sun and provides a magnificent view of the resplendent starry nights, it is here in the Holy Land that we can see God's majesty, experience his glory, and feel his unending love and protection. King David, the master of trusting God, wrote, 
When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. This is from Psalm 94, 18 to 19. As Jesus taught his disciples in his great Sermon on the Mount, There, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? It says in Matthew six twenty-five to 26. May we all learn to live out our faith in God each and every day, trusting him with our very lives, knowing that he alone, as it says in Psalm 18, 2, is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.